How many of you guys know that Jin blesses God's heart? You guys know that? For real, though. Anytime he does anything, I feel like God's just like... That's, that's my boy. That's my boy right there. <laughs> One thing that I admire so much about him is uh, if you ever talk with him, you know he's got absolutely no fear of man. That's, that's one thing that believers, all sons of God, need to be walking in, huh? Where they, they can be zealous and passionate for the Lord without, without a hint of wanting to please man. Because the only thing that'll do is slow us down. So thank you for that prayer. That set me free. Um, now I'm ready to preach. Uh, you know, uh, Pastor Christian just wrapped up a series uh, on finances. I want to encourage you guys, if you haven't heard it already, to definitely check it out. Um, I know for me personally, it was uh, just a powerful series. I believe it was six messages in total of just really breaking down old mindsets of finances and what it, what it looks like to be a believer and how we relate to being proper stewards of finances. Um, and so I want to encourage you guys to do that. I'm also in a series, but my series is a lot more spread out. Um, and I'm preaching out of the book of Deuteronomy. And we're still on chapter one. Uh, so I don't know how long this series is going to take, but, but it's a good book. Uh, it's a powerful book. Uh, the first message I preach was uh, Breaking Camp and Advancing. Break, Camp, and Advance. That was the title of the first message of this series. And I was preaching about how sometimes when God is calling us to enter into the promised land, it requires for us to break out of what we are familiar with, what we know, what we're comfortable with. In fact, Scripture said, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. And it's funny because sometimes breaking camp means breaking out of the blessing of yesterday in order stepping into the blessing of today. And so it was a message just really encouraging us as a people. We can't expect, you know, to be a people that goes from glory to glory without understanding that we got to move. We got to be on the move and we got to continuously be on the move. Um, This is not our home. I love the language break camp because... here our lifetime, it's about, we're pretty much camping, you know, it's temporary. This life is temporary, but what we're building in the spirit is absolutely eternal. The house of God that we're building, it's made up of living stones, scripture says. And so we got to be called to break camp and advance. The second message I preached was blessed to be overwhelmed. And I was talking about how Moses was overwhelmed And it's funny because the reason why he was overwhelmed was that God was actually fulfilling prophecy. He was fulfilling his covenant with Abraham that he was going to multiply Abraham's descendants uh, like the numbers of the stars in the sky. And when that started getting fulfilled, Moses found himself utterly overwhelmed. In fact, he was so overwhelmed, he begged God to kill him. He wanted to die And I preached the message talking about often when we find ourselves completely overwhelmed, it's actually because we're blessed. It's actually because God is fulfilling words in our lives. And we got to be ready not only to recognize it, to understand that we're blessed, to begin to prophesy over it and begin to declare that, yeah, it's going to be even more. We're going to see even more. Moses went from saying, God, stop. This is too many people, too many people to God. I just prophesy that even more to the thousands will your descendants 
be multiplied. So break camp in advance, blessed to be overwhelmed. And I'm going to preach on the third portion of chapter one. And I want you guys to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter one, verses 19. And we're going to read all the way to 33. Uh, I'll read a passage. I'll read a verse. You guys can read the other verse, and we'll go from 1, uh, excuse me, 19 to 33. Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites as the Lord our God commanded us, and we came to Kadesh Barnea. Hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. And you murmured in your tents. And said, because the Lord hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord, your God, who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord, your God. Here, this is Moses' last words to a generation. Actually, the generation that got delivered from Egypt so supernaturally, so powerfully, had all died, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And this is because of what Moses is recounting right now. And they're on the brink, this new generation is on the brink of finally entering the promised land. This is the land that was promised to Abraham, we're talking about generations ago. Generations ago, God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to number your children like the stars in the sky and the sand on the shore. And all of a sudden, Abraham's people found themselves in bondage to the Egyptians for generations. And here was this group of people who all they know their whole life, all they knew was slavery. Finally, Moses is raised up, delivers them, 
God supernaturally sends plagues to Egypt. And Pharaoh finally says, let them go. And even, even when Pharaoh said, let them go, and he decides to change his mind, God opens the Red Sea, has the Israelites walk through the Red Sea, and has all of the Egyptian armies completely defeated. I mean, it was a supernatural work. But here's a generation that Moses is talking to that did not experience that. All they knew were stories of what God had done. And they're about to enter into the promise that was promised generation after generation after generation ago to Abraham. And Moses said, before you even step foot into this promised land, you need to understand the history that we have with God. You need to understand who God is and what he has done for us. They needed to understand that what happened to Abraham was very much connected to who they were and what God was going to do through them. Abraham wasn't an old great, 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 great grandfather. You know what I'm saying? That was disconnected. Moses wanted to paint an accurate picture that Abraham and the covenant that God made with Abraham had everything to do with this generation. So he's telling these stories of what had happened. And here in this passage, he specifically talks about how that previous generation was in the same place that they were now. Right about to enter in to the promised land. It probably was an exciting time. Can you imagine as a slave your whole life, not only did you supernaturally get set free, but finally, finally, you're about to step into a promise that you've only heard stories about. Can you imagine being at the dinner table? You know, whenever they celebrated different feasts of God, all of a sudden, the oldest member of the family starts talking about this, this God that had this covenant with this man named Abraham, who's your distant relative, and, and this God that made this incredible covenant that talked about a land that he would give to us. What would that be like? You're a slave in Egypt hearing about a land that God has promised you. And finally, you're the generation that gets to step foot in it. It must have been incredible. I mean, I'm sure that they were scared, but I would imagine if that were me, I'd be excited. That I was the generation that got set free from slavery. And I would be the generation that would actually put my foot in the promised land. That's exciting. You can imagine. They thought to themselves, this is the time. Now, finally, after all these years, after all these stories, I'm going to see God fulfill the things that he promised to Abraham. And they say, you know what? Let's send 12 spies. And a lot of people have preached that this was an act of doubt or, you know, an act of skepticism. Or what if it was for me? And I thought maybe it could have been an act of just excitement. Send 12 people, one from each tribe, to find out just how awesome this place is because we want to hear about it. And they come back and these, they send these 12 men. Everybody's waiting in expectation because this is the land. Now's the time. They're the generation. They're the chosen one. And here comes these 12 men. They send, get sent off and they come back with the fruit of the land. You know, the fruit of the land was they brought back grapes. It was a single cluster of grapes. Now, I know when you hear that, you're like, yay, you know, like see men prancing with, you know, one single cluster of grapes. But these grapes were so big that it took two men to carry just one cluster. 
So nobody was frolicking. I'm talking about like, you know, like we're back with these huge grapes and they see them in the distance like, wow, it's real. This is legit. Hecka legit. And he comes, these 12 men come back and they say, it is true. This land is flowing with milk and honey. Man, if I was an Israelite in that moment, I just probably would have been like bursting. Like, oh my gosh, this is happening. It's today. Everything we heard about, it's today. It's right now. But they didn't stop there. They said, it's true. The land is flowing with milk and honey. And here's the fruit that we brought from it. It's ginormous. However, however, and if you look at the account in Numbers chapter 13, there's an account where the spies begin to talk about coming into, you know, looking and seeing these giants that were in the land. They said descendants of Anak. Anak, there's theories that Goliath himself was a descendant from Anak. So you can imagine Goliath was what, I think, nine feet tall or some ginormous number. And here are the same family of just giants roaming around this promised land. Not only that, but the cities were fortified. The walls were high. They were highly advanced. Here's Israelites. All they knew was slavery. They know nothing about war. They only know how to serve a master, but they know nothing about war. They know nothing about offensive warfare. And now they, they hear about this enemy that's huge city walls that are fortified. And all of a sudden you can imagine they began to question everything. You see, God had put in the covenant. I'm going to give a land to you, but he didn't mention giants. He didn't talk about fortified cities. He didn't talk about a land that was going to be filled with people who are ginormously huge and people that we'd have to eventually fight and conquer. He didn't mention that. So when they heard giants in the promised land, I'm sure that you can imagine they began to question things. You know what? I never heard anything about no giants. So I'm not sure that I'm not sure that now's the time. I'm not sure now's the situation. I'm not sure that God even promised the promised land. In fact, the Israelites began to doubt and fear so much that it literally took them from the center of God's covenant all the way over here. See, we talked a lot about the past couple of months about the power of staying in the covenant of God. Pastor Christian himself preached about it last Sunday, about not negotiating with God. Jacob wrestling with God. He didn't need to wrestle. He had the blessing of God. But still fighting, striving, fighting, striving. Lowering the negotiations of God's promises. And we're talking about staying in faith and staying in the center of the covenant. And here the Israelites were right in the middle of it. And because of fear, lured right out of it. Not only were they afraid They began to question God's goodness. You know, whenever you try to enter in your promised land and you begin to see giants, first temptation is going to be to question God's goodness. In fact, later in this same passage, the Israelites murmur to themselves, it's because God hates us. In fact, the reason why we're here, the reason why we even got delivered from Egypt was because the Lord hates us. He hates us so much that he devised this wonderful plan to pull us out of bondage only for us to get murdered and killed by these giants in the promised land. 
their question, their understanding, their revelation of who God was and even his goodness was completely tainted. Why? Because they stepped out of covenant. Now they couldn't even think straight. They couldn't think clearly. They were filled with fear. You see, fear always lures you out of the covenant. Faith keeps you in. Scared out of their minds. You know, sometimes we feel that same way. We're on the brink of the promised land. You see an open door. Maybe an open door even happened. You hear the messages about dreaming big. All you business people are like, yeah, now's the time. The prophetic word. It's the year of increase. And all of a sudden you come face to face with giants. Man, nobody mentioned this. Nobody said anything about my boss being a jerk. Nobody mentioned anything about my coworkers trying to cheat me. Nobody mentioned anything about this ministry position being completely difficult. Nobody mentioned anything about this or that or this. And all of a sudden you're sitting there crying, questioning whether or not God loves you. God, is it because you hate me that I'm here? See, we need to change our mindset when we see giants. The Israelites, when they saw giants, immediately they felt fear. Can I tell you what Joshua felt? Turn with me to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers, oh, excuse me, chapter 14. Verses 6 to 9. Here is Joshua and Caleb. All the ten other spies are bugging out, completely afraid. And Joshua and Caleb, all of a sudden, they tore their clothes, starting from verse 7. And they said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. You see, all of the other spies thought this is proof that God hates us. Two spies said, this is proof that we got some extra food. This is proof. This is proof that we're going to conquer not just the land, but we're going to conquer all these giants. When they saw giants, they saw opportunity. They saw opportunity. They saw, okay, this is what God is doing. He's giving me authority. If God promised me this land and in this land are giants, then it must be I have authority over these giants. Our issue is we need to awaken to the fact that the giants that you're facing in your life right now are bread for you. God is putting them on a silver platter for you. It's it's not just about character building or testing of faith or no, he's giving it to you on a dish and he's saying, eat, take authority, conquer. I'm giving you this as a bonus. This is just for free. I didn't mention it because I wanted to surprise you with my goodness. Here, extra giants, just so you know how powerful you are. Two men understood 
what the giants really signified. While 10 spread gossip and rumors to the rest of the people that this would be absolutely impossible. That there would be no way for them to overcome. The problem is, in the latter half of verse 9, it talks about that their defense is gone. These giants, their defense is gone. Why? Because God is on our side. So everything that would have equipped these giants to be successful wouldn't work against us. God is on our side. They understood the ramifications that whoever went to war with them really went to war with God. Whoever came against them really was coming against God. They knew who was on their side. You ever um, see that movie Avatar and Jake Sully? You know, he finally goes on that kind of like land and it's all trippy and he sees this like elephant. I don't even know how to describe it, but you know what I'm talking about, right? That like elephant with the thing and looks like a dinosaur. And initially he's like freaking out like, oh, snap, like backing up. He knows he's outmatched by this beast. And you can tell that fear is rising up and that he's just like looking at it like, I better not get killed. And all of a sudden that elephant thing starts freaking out and runs away. And Jake's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's just like, yeah, what's up? And he just all feels breathing, you know, like on his shoulder and he turns around and it's like this much more ferocious looking beast. And he, he, he thought that the elephant was running away from him, but he was really running away from the beast behind him, right? You see, we need to think like that a little bit, that no matter what faces us, that God's right here. That whatever the enemy's looking at, is he's not just looking at little old you or me. The enemy is looking at the spirit of Jesus Christ that raised him from the dead inside you and me and can't help but to run away. In fact, the truth is, there's no such thing as threat. Immediately, the giants were a threat to the Israelites. But that's actually not true at all. The spirit of witchcraft, the spirit of adultery, the division that's happening in your house, the sickness that you've been facing, none of that is a true threat in your life. There's only one real threat that you and I really need to overcome, and that's the threat of unbelief. The moment you and I choose to not believe, that is the most dangerous place to be. The Israelites chose not to believe in order to protect themselves, but in reality got themselves killed without stepping foot into the promised land. There's nothing more scarier than rebelling against the Lord. There's nothing more intense nor problematic than not coming into agreement with what God has said over your life. Trust me when I say everything else can't be a threat. Nothing. I want to focus in on verse 30. Why don't you read that verse in particular with me? Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 1 verse 30. Um, 30 to 32, on the count of three, one, two, three.
The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. Just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you. I talked about this at Friday Fire and I said that there's power in remembering. Here in this passage, Moses invited the Israelites on the brink of their fear and facing the giants. He said, remember? Remember when God delivered us from Egypt? Remember when he set us free from 300 years of slavery? Remember when he opened up the Red Sea? Remember when he sent plagues to Pharaoh and the rest of the Egyptians? Remember when the firstborn of every single Egyptian family died, but none of ours died because we had smeared the blood of a lamb, a pure and perfect and spotless lamb over our doorway? Remember that? Remember? And he invited them into the power of remembering, and they refused. They refused. Here, I want to tell you today, do not forget what the Lord has done. Our problem is, is not that we don't remember. It's we're choosing to remember the wrong thing. We're so concerned about remembering our mistakes, our failures, the times when we thought God didn't come through, and we've completely forgotten all that God has done in our lives. Remembering is powerful because the moment you step into remembering, you can't help to increase your faith. You can't help but to realize, what? This is nothing. I can overcome anything. You know, when I first moved into our brand new apartment, our apartment number is 2811. And Christian and I thought it's such a random number. Maybe there is some sort of word that God, you know, some sort of correlation that God wanted to speak to us about. And I'm studying the book of Deuteronomy. And so I thought, Deuteronomy 2811, all right, let's see what it says. And it says this, the Lord will abound you in prosperity. He will cause the fruit of your womb to increase. He will cause the fruit of your livestock to increase. And he will cause the fruit of your ground to increase or to prosper, increase. Same thing. In the land that the... The God in the land that God swore to your fathers to give to you. Now that promise may seem vague and awesome, but at the time you need to understand that I started having a desire to want to become a mother. And I'm 28 years old right now. I'm young. I'm young. (laughs) And I got married a little over four years ago, four years of wonderful marriage with my husband. But now I've, I've got the, the mommy itch, and every time I see a baby, which happened before, but still now more than ever, I'm just like, Nyeh. and if you, you ever watch me go to the mall, I'm like constant, freakishly going to people's babies and, hello, why are you so cute? Um, freaking everybody out. And so I was really excited, and I thought even before I went to a, the doctor, I thought, man, this verse is for me. God is going to give me a child. That the Lord will cause you to abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb. That's the first phrase that comes after that. And I thought, all right, this is it. And then I started going to the doctors because I had already had some issues with my woman organs, to say the least. But uh, to put it in layman's terms, my ovaries are not producing eggs. They are, but they're not maturing. Now, I had this issue about, I found out about it maybe two, three, three years ago. When I first came to Korea, I had them checked out. And I was monitored for about six months. Uh, They would take sonograms, and they would show me, 
You see these little circles? Yeah, they're supposed to get bigger. You see how they're not getting bigger? Yeah, that means your eggs are not maturing. And even if you wanted to, you would not be able to get pregnant. At that time, three years ago, I didn't want to get pregnant. And so I was like, all right, no problem. You know, like, I'll just deal with it when the future comes. But I remember really when it happened, it planted a little bit of a seed where I thought, maybe I'm going to have issues when I want to get pregnant. Actually, when I was younger and in college, I was so promiscuous uh, and I had led such a promiscuous lifestyle that in the back of my mind, I always expected God to curse me in some sort of way or, or punish me. Um, and so I thought, you know, let me go see the doctor again. And I go see the doctor and they said, it's the same problem. If you look at the sonogram here and you look at the picture here, you'll notice that the small circles are not getting bigger. You are not ovulating. Your ovaries are not properly functioning. And if you wanted to, you would not be able to get pregnant right now. Unless we start some procedures, some shots, some medicine, some this, some that, some this, some that, and, and I'm sure it'll work out. All I heard was wah, 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 and I was like, wait, no, no, and no. And I, and I just thought, no, I can't receive that. That's completely outside of the covenant. The covenant says Nothing about me having issues, but it does say that the Lord will make me to abound in prosperity and he will cause the fruit of my womb to increase. So I looked at the doctor's report and I looked at what this woman doctor was saying to me. And I said, this doesn't match up. I got to make a choice right now. Am I going to stay in covenant or am I going to let fear keep me out of it? And I thought in that moment, I better stay in covenant. So I talked to my husband. He said, no, don't worry about it. All is well. I talked to my spiritual parents. They said, no, 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 no. All is well. And they didn't stop there. Pastor Sonny was like, yeah. And I was like, what? She was like, as if these giants weren't blatantly, you know, talking to me right then and there. It's impossible for you to get pregnant like that. Just words. Just, you know, it's impossible for you to get pregnant. It's impossible. These giants just screaming at me. And Pastor Sonny was like, yeah, giants. And I was like, what is she celebrating? She said, man, God is writing a testimony for you. In fact, not only that, this must be prophetic that your whole house is going to experience a level of healing that you've never seen before. And she goes, I'm excited. And I was like, yeah. But one thing that she said that really blew me away was I was diagnosed with the same thing. In fact, they had double issues. Pastor Benjamin had issues. Pastor Sonny had issues. Eight years they tried to have a baby. Eight years. Every single year they told the congregation, this is the year. They said it out loud. They invited the congregation through the journey. Why? Because it's not something you hide. It's not something that you cover up. It's something in faith you declare. And so eight years they declared it. This is the year. Passed. This is the year. Passed. This is the year. And finally in the eighth year, Alethea was born. She's their miracle baby. So Pastor Sonny looked at me and was like, listen, it took me eight years, but I paid that price. I went through that so you don't have to go through that. That's the concept of sonship and inheritance. Someone paid the price so I can get it for free. So I said, eight years, shoot. Then it'll take me, what, eight months? <laughs> eight days? Eight seconds? 
Whatever, I'll take it. It doesn't matter. I don't, I don't know what, but I'm normal. I'm healthy. That's, that's the truth. And that's what I'm sticking to because that is, that's covenant for me. I refuse to be lured out of the covenant despite the giants that I was facing. But you know, you say that one day you tell the congregation and you're like, yeah. And then another day you wake up and all of a sudden you're thinking and you're staring at the pictures that they gave you of the sonogram sonogram of those tiny little things that aren't getting bigger. And you're thinking, man, is it really going to be okay? Is it really going to be okay? And all of a sudden, when I was meditating on this passage, in particular, God talked to me about this, where he said, the Lord your God who goes before you, he himself would fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And he began to tell me, remember? Remember when? Remember when? I spent more time with Alethea on this trip than I did with Pastor Benjamin and Pastor Sonny. And I think it was prophetic. One, because I'm hoping to be a mom, so I got to uh, be a little mama to Alethea. But two, it's because she gave me a very important lesson was the power of remembering. Every day we spent about 20 minutes remembering. And we didn't just remember things of the old, remember things that happened five minutes ago. Remember when you gave me that cake? I was like, yeah, you still have it in front of you, you know? <laughs> remember when we went to Pororo Land? Yeah, we did that yesterday. Lathia, remember when you were on the train and you held that cream boy's hand? She's like, yeah. She's like, girl. And I have all these videos on my phone of Alethea when she was younger, when I first had met PB and PS. And I began to show her these videos, and she just could not stop cracking up. And there's a video of her before she was able to speak well, and she's, like, in her diapers and just, like, barely running around. And PB's like, Alethea, come here, say hi to auntie. She goes, hi, auntie. Says, hi. Say hi to uncle. Hi, Ado. And I showed it to her, and she's like, ah. She's laughing, and the next day she's like, remember when I called Uncle Udo? And I was like, yeah, I remember. And I began to show her all these things, and she just delighted and just watching, looking at pictures of, the, of when she was little, watching videos of when she was little. And then I showed her this one video. You see, Alethea didn't used to like me all the time. When I first met her, she could not stand me. And I have a video proof of this. I wanted to show it up, but I don't know how to do that. So it's... This video of Alethea, baby talking. She didn't know how to talk yet, except one word, which you'll figure it out. And she's, and she's running around, and Pastor Sonny's over here lying on the couch. And then she runs, and she looks at me, and she goes, no! <laughs> and, like, she, like, could not stand me. So I showed her that video, and she was like, Next. And she like, didn't even want to watch that video. She's like, I'm not remembering that. Forget that. Show me that other video with Odo in it. She just already knew. Why am I going to watch that? What's the point of replaying that? Why am I going to spend time watching me act a fool when I have all these other videos of me looking mad cute and me doing cute things and saying cute things? She refused to watch that video. In fact, when I let her play with the phone, anytime that video went up, she was like, next. She refused. And I thought, man, this three-year-old girl knows better what to replay in her mind than adults do. For some of us, the videos that we never choose to play are the ones where we're delighting in God, where God set us free, where God did this. But we're constantly on replay about that. No. No. Or those times, those things that people have said to you on replay, the thing that that person did on replay, the thing that you did that you don't want anything to know about 
on replay. Yet she knew she was able to discern. I want to watch this, but I do not want to watch that. I'm not going to remember that. So we just constantly remember, remember, remember. And all of a sudden it just inspired me. You know what? I need to read some journals because I write in journals. And if you don't, you should because journals are powerful. In fact, scripture itself is just a writing down of what God has said and what he did. So we should do the same thing. Write down what God has said and what he did in your life. And I spoke this word um, about remembering on Friday. And Pastor John Michael posted a picture of his journal entry of 2000. What was it? 2005 of prayer requests where he was praying for some uh, people that you guys know. I think it was semi or different people. And I thought, man, I should read my journals. And so I brought one here. And this journal here is the moment I landed in Korea. I started writing in this. So the first page is day one in Korea. Okay. Day one. And I started reading this bad boy. I have about seven journals in total. I've been in Korea for about six years. And in these journals are sermon notes, their revelations, there's dreams. And then there's a whole lot of foolishness, which I'm going to read for you right now. Cause pastor Christian so lovingly described his history with you guys. Oh, that reminds me, by the way, those places you took the other girls to, honey, I don't need to go there. Okay? Man, all y'all last week, I know all y'all last week were looking at me like, is she okay? I knew all those stories. I knew all those stories. So I'm going to read um, a part of day one, August 30th. And what I, I'm going to pause because I used to curse a lot. Okay. Um, and so if you hear a, a pregnant pause, you know, it's because I'm just trying to say something I shouldn't say. And I'm going to, you know, warn you in advance. This is coming from four years of actually just a, a long time, about eight years of just utter rebellion. Um, I had stopped, uh, started, uh, I was promiscuous. I was doing drugs. I had, uh, living a lifestyle of sin, stealing. Um, for those of you that don't know that testimony, you can ask anybody here, but pretty much I did a lot of things I shouldn't have done. And Korea was God's way of really taking me out and tucking me into his bosom. Right before coming to Korea, I had spent two weeks, uh, in Africa for missions and, um, Africa is pretty much where God wooed me. I was in two countries, Uganda and Rwanda, and there God romanced me. But even after those missions, right before going to Korea, I was smoking a blunt. Like I was like, this is the last blunt I'm going to smoke in a long time. So, you know, smoking and like, so you can tell I was on missions, but I was like smoking weed. So, you know, so bear with me. Okay. (laughs) Oh, and, and boys were always my downfall as was, you know, my husband with girls, but boys was mine. So, you know, he told them that he wanted to wife them, but you know, me, it was another wrong thing. But anyway, so, um, day one. So my first full day was pretty busy. My chagunama woke me up at eight and was surprised on how well I slept. She obviously doesn't know me well. Korea plays the weirdest American music, Rod Stewart. I'm really glad I didn't go to orientation. I missed it. Um, it looked pretty whack. It was crazy to see so many people from all over the world, England, Ireland, Australia. God knows why they chose Korea. 
And even though I hate on the motherland, I couldn't stand hearing them complain about it. I did see this hot white guy, though. <laughs> but he was into this girl in his district who was so obviously sweating him that... So he looked like a typical white boy, but hotter. So my district leader, Mrs. Kim, is so nice. It's nice to speak Korean, even if I suck. I can't imagine how hard it would be for non-Koreans. This adopted Korean, I think he was trying to hit on me. I think he's weird. No cute boys anywhere, and I hope it stays that way. Because I'm so lonely, I might throw myself at anyone. It's because of these dramas. Seriously, dramas equal the devil. Oh, yeah, the bank card here has a huge red devil on it. What's wrong with this country? There was one entry where I went to water Pia and Sarak-san, and it was my first time. I'll read it for you here. Oh, man, these are things I cannot read to you. Where, oh, water Pia was ill. That, was, that means good. Water Pia was ill... But it's my first time with massive nakedness. I showered with my bathing suit on. <laughs> and here's my first Sunday. This is my first Sunday in Korea. I came to this church. I came to this church and I sat right about, Kristen, can you wave your hand? Probably around that seat. Okay? This was in September. All right? The first church I ever stepped foot in was here. I did not come to this church as a pastor. I didn't come as a full-time ministry person. I, didn't come, I came as a teacher, getting away, running away from a lifestyle of sin in New York. And this church is where God brought me to. And I'll, I'll read the entry of what that was like for me. <clears throat> oh, I can't read the before part because that was bad. Um, okay, so... Thankfully, Andy called me at 9.30. He's my best friend's brother who was going here. That's how I got here to this church and woke me up for church, which, by the way, was sick. That means good. <laughs> they all just got back from a retreat. And if you guys know about this retreat, it's the retreat where fire fell. The speaker happens to be from South Africa, and his message was all about missions. Well, it's already, about to, it's already Tuesday. I'm still writing about Sunday. But to sum up Sunday, I feel like God really touched my heart. I wonder if one day he wants me to go on missions. One of the songs I heard was Let Your Glory Fall in This Room. How strange. That was the song that we sang throughout my whole training for Africa. Let Your Glory Fall in This Room. Um, and another song that seriously made me cry was Power of Your Love. I just felt Jew's presence. Jew is short for Chuhi. Chuhi's English name was Diana. Um, a year and a half ago, from this entry, she passed away in a car accident. She was my best friend. And um, she, um, I mean, obviously, it was still very raw in my heart at the time. And we went to a coffee house when we were in sixth grade, and we performed Power of Your Love um, together. So when I heard that song, I started bawling. Um, beep. I miss her. <laughs> I ate shabu-shabu for the first time with the congregation, and it was delicious. Now, if you know anything about me, you now know that shabu-shabu is my favorite thing to eat ever. 
It was an awesome day that ended, at, ended with a good heartfelt prayer. And I feel like I'm growing because I can pray longer than five minutes. <laughs> this was 2006. A little over six years ago, this is where I was at. Five months after this entry, I'm going to read you another entry. I know I'm a little over on time, but can you guys bear with me? Oh, now that I bust out the journal, all y'all like, <laughs> keep going. Mm. Hold on. Now, what happened was God started to really open up my heart. And uh, I went to this prayer mountain. And you'll find out who was there with me. No, 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 not, not Pastor Christian. Um, <laughs> Prayer Mountain. This is five months later. I have so much to learn and I'm learning new things every day. And I'm humbled by the experiences because I know, I think I know, but I really don't. So far, I finally confess to people about my lust and my struggle with it. And I'm excited for the enemy to lose his stronghold in me. The sister shared some things that made them extremely vulnerable, which gave me the courage to share as well. It's awesome how God works like that. And on the way here, I was filled with so much shame. But now, I'm not. Praise God for changing lives. He is good. And I'm also learning how much I need to really study God's word. I hope I learn how to hear what it is that he's trying to say to me. God has been opening up my eyes this week, and I'm so thankful for it. I know I have a long way to go, but God will finish the work that he started in me. a little bit later of the prayer mountain, um, I realized that I needed healing and deliverance. This was the first time anybody in church, five months after I came, confessed their sins to me. And that's when I realized, man, I can talk to Christians about my struggles. And I spoke with Pastor Christian about it. I talk about him here. I call him Brother Christian in my journal. <laughs> Brother Christian and I had an aim chat. Anyway, and... Um, I have my first date with him in here too, but I'm not going to read that. It's really funny. Um, I talk about that Rose move, by the way, and I said it was corny in my journal. <laughs> oh, man. I really don't know how we got married. All right. Um, okay. During prayer tonight, I asked for wisdom about my deliverance and God led to open, led me to open James chapter three, verse nine. Now I didn't know anything about this passage. He just gave me that verse. Um, I mean, James chapter five, if any one of you is sick, he should call the elders of the church to pray for him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person. Well, the Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So to sum it up, I'm going to ask Christian and Monica to lead my deliverance. This is something I struggled with for a week. Should I do this? Should I not? Should I do this? Should I not? I'm going to finally take away the authority I've given to Satan about all my sins. It's going to be so hard, but with God, I'm victorious. Today, I spoke to Jew for the first time. Where's Jew at? <laughs> oh, no, 
I'm gonna cry. I spelled your name J-U, by the way, sorry. Um, um, getting to know her makes me want to get to know everyone more. Uh, God is doing mighty things at JSCM, and it's really exciting. I got a haircut at Juno's. It looks okay. <laughs> All right. This is the last one I'm going to read to you guys. February 8th, 2007, the day of my deliverance. Um, I wrote this journal entry after I had a session of just really confessing my sins. Now, we still have healing and deliverance ministry here in this church. Pastor J.M. and Sky head up that ministry. But what we didn't have during my time was discipleship. And so, so much of what you guys do in discipleship, I did in just one long setting, if that makes sense. And so I did a three hours of just confessing things that I've done and things that I have gone through. And I wrote this short passage, day of my deliverance after being set free. Pastor Christian led it. He was just brother Christian at the time. I stayed after and prayed with Jenny, who was one of the sisters at the time. And God showed his love for me. I saw a bright light shining on us. And then I saw a vision of an army. A Passover, blood smeared on the door, and I realized that God had always protected me. I must persevere and seek his face every day. I saw a vision of an army that day, and another vision that someone saw for me was me standing and behind me multitudes and multitudes of sheep. Now, at the time, I had no idea what that meant. And vision of the army, I had no idea what that really meant. This was 2000. 7 February, right after my H&D session. Here's the thing. When God began to speak to me about remembering, all of a sudden, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop remembering all that God had done in my life. See, I'm a co-lead pastor of this church. I walked in addicted to drugs. I walked in um, just with so much dirt and shame of my previous lifestyle. And today... I'm here preaching to you guys. So if you guys, you know, really want to see a miracle, just take a look at me. When I remembered, I realized that um, <clears throat> that the giants that I was facing today Are nothing. In this room is my history, my first Sunday. I met Christian my first Sunday. Danny Suck, it was his first month coming here as well. Brian Wee was the newcomer's leader at the time <laughs> and invited me to Shabu Shabu that night. <laughs> In this room, where's Sam Yu at? Sam Yu? Raise your hand. Sam Yu, I knew him since middle school. In fact, he, I met him in a life when I first got hit by the fire of God. Years later, he ends up coming to this church. Where's Pearl at? Is Pearl here today? Pearl Schneider? 
Pearl's visiting the States right now. Pearl I knew in college. I partied with her. I did drugs with her, and we got drunk together. Can you imagine the day Pearl walked into this church? I looked at her, and I said, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord. And we knew, she knew me at some of my worst moments. She seen me get into fights in college. I mean, college, high school, Lisa, my cousin, I met her here in Korea, in this church. I have history here. The problem with God's people today is we forgot. We forgot the joy of our salvation. I want you guys to just close your eyes real quick. I don't know what giants you're looking at today, but I'm going to say the same thing Moses said to the Israelites. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And I want you to replace Egypt with everything, your story, your history with God. Some of you are questioning why you're in ministry, why you're at your workplace, why you're facing the things that you do. Do not get it twisted. When you stay in the covenant of faith, clarity comes. I walk in this sanctuary every Sunday. And I forgot I forgot that six years ago, I used to be a completely different person. That day when I walked in, I sat all the way in the back and I continued to sit in the back because everybody freaked me out. But somewhere along that time, God transformed me. You may not have the same story as me, but trust me, you're sitting here today because of God's goodness. The Lord does not hate you. The Lord loves you. And just for a moment, I want us to remember that. And so, Father, I just pray right now an anointing. People may not have their journals in front of them, but God, I pray that you begin to remind them. Take them back. Take them back to that moment where they weren't living fully for you and that moment when they finally met you. Take them back to that moment of of finally understanding your love for them. I just pray that as a house, no matter what giants we face, even in the year of increase, we can't take it as a sign that the promise it isn't ours. But I pray that we will choose to remember the history that we have with you. so father i just pray awaken awaken and remember cause us to remember for some of you you don't have that much to remember in terms of your history with god 
In fact, it may be just a couple of months. But the Israelites that Moses was talking to when he was speaking in Deuteronomy was a generation that also didn't have a personal history with the Lord just yet. They didn't see firsthand the people getting delivered out of Egypt, but they heard the stories and knew that it was part of their inheritance. And in that same way, when you hear my story, though it was told through tears, I want you to understand that that's your inheritance as well. And so, Father, I just give you praise. And I remember you today. That standing here and preaching is a sign and a wonder to your goodness. And so no matter where everyone is at here in their journey, and no matter what giants doubt, unbelief that they're tempted to embrace, I declare the spirit of faith is being released all across this room. And I declare that there is a boldness and a rising up and that every giant that we're facing today is meant to be our food. And we declare that we're going to rise up in authority and in power and that we're going to possess the covenant and possess the manifestations of all the promises that you have spoken to this house, to us personally, and to this generation. We just love you today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.